Well, this is the season when you tend to find out the dependability uh, of the promise of various things, particularly gifts. And generally speaking, this applies in two ways. First, whether the thing that you've chosen as a gift is going to produce the desired satisfaction. Or secondly, if those things that you have purchased as gifts live up to their advertised quality and performance. On the one hand, you wrap a present with the expectation that a person is uh, going to enjoy it and be happy with it, perhaps even thrilled with it, and you get one of three responses. They love it and are thrilled, or they like it and are truly appreciative, or they're disappointed and polite. And usually that's one of the three things you get. And uh, that third one's my favorite one. Oh, yes, thank you. This is so nice. <laughs> that kind of response. On the other hand, the other test that you get is you pick something out because it's hyped and it's padded with a five-star review. And when you open it up and actually get it, you realize that a two-star review would have been an exaggeration. But it's too late, and you just have to live, uh, live with it and accept the fact that it's not what you were told it was or what you hoped it would be. There's only one whose promises and performance will always prove true and never falter or fail. And that is the one whose word is truth, the one true and living God. When Moses, in a moment of weakness, doubted whether the Lord could provide meat in the wilderness as he promised, God upbraided his servant, and he said to Moses in Numbers 11, verse 23, Is the Lord's hand shortened? In other words, what's wrong with you, Moses? Why are you doubting? Why, why do you fear the fulfillment of this? Do you think my hand is shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true or not. And then, as you might recall, the Lord laid down a carpet of quail two cubits thick over the whole camp and beyond, just to make the point, so to speak. Now, the last 26 chapters of the work of Isaiah the prophet, those 26 chapters are just full of beautiful promises and rich imagery concerning those promises. And as we ended this morning's second meditation, we touched very briefly on those last few words of Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. It closes out the promise of the coming salvation of the Lord with this testimony, the word of our God will stand forever. Now that statement, as we find it in Isaiah, is designed to move men and women and children to put their confidence in the word of God, in its power, in its efficacy, and its perpetuity, that is, that can be trusted for all time. Which brings us to the passage that's before us now. And once again, we see the imagery is rich and beautiful. Now, it's nice to see the sun shining today, but it's been quite rainy the last few weeks down here. But up in the higher elevations, the snow's been falling, and the mountain out on the horizon has turned white over the last few weeks under that snowfall. 
All this water has fallen from above and either soaked or, in the case of the snow, blanketed the ground, watering it. The grass that a few weeks ago in our yard was brown and brittle is now green and soft. And the saturation that both brings the soil uh, to, to the point where it will be full, as the prophet says, it provides seed for the sower in the spring, and in turn, bread for the eater. Now, when you're sledding, or you're skiing, or you're boarding through the snow, or even when you're dashing through an icy downpour to your car, you aren't usually thinking, ah, this is the stuff that fattens the seeds. And you know what that means? Panera is going to have all sorts of bread, muffin, biscuit, and bagel choices for me to enjoy. Because the seed's coming, and the bread will follow. But the reality is, that's exactly what it means. That snow falling, that rain falling, means that there will be seed. And as a result of the seed, there will be bread. Just think about it for a moment. The snow comes fluttering down, the rain pelting down. And together they plump up the seeds, and in the end, you come up with a wide range of breads, cakes, pies, cookies, and other things. It's what comes at the end of all that. And it provides, in the end, bread to the eater. Now, God has created it, therefore, and it's his work, this, this beautiful work of creation, and because he's created, it's inevitable, and it's a wonderful blessing. That's, it's going to happen, and it is a great blessing. And that illustrates, says the Lord, the nature and work of his word. He <clears throat> says in verse 11 here, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing to which I sent it. As I mentioned, the emphasis here is on the power and the efficiency of God's word. And you see this everywhere in scripture, beginning with Genesis 1-3. God said, let there be light and... I'll try it again. God said, let there be light yeah, it happened. He said it, he spoke it, and it came to pass. <coughs> Excuse me. It was Solomon who testified, saying this, and this is in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke to Moses, his servant. And again, the Psalms. You read this in Psalm 33, verses 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And then verse 9 says why. Where he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So the call here is for everybody to stand in awe of the Lord because of the power and the efficiency of this word. Paul calls the word of the Lord the trustworthy word. The word of truth. But there's one more testimony to kind of fill out this picture 
And it comes again from the Psalms, where you read this in Psalm 147, verses 15 through 17, and it kind of ties in with what's being said in Isaiah. He sends out his command to the earth. His words run swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? And we're told all this comes at his command. All this is the result of his word. He says that it's going to happen, and it happens. Now, I don't think on any other occasion is this reality more evident, this power and efficiency of God's word, than in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it's so evident that men and women who reject the power and the efficiency of God's word have gone to great lengths to try to obscure it. And the enemy has really reveled in, in all the distortions and mythology with which the biblical accounts have been embellished over the years to throw a doubtful light on what is so obviously, and to those who don't believe, painfully true. God said, a virgin is going to conceive, and a virgin conceived. And that's the wonder of it. That's the power of the word. That's the word being fulfilled. And that plain, simple fulfillment of God's word is troubling to those who reject the word. And so they pile things on to try to dilute the word, so to speak. What happens when you put too much ice in a glass of tea? The tea is diluted and it loses its potency. And the same applies if you're taking uh, what is true and water it down with falsehood. It dilutes it. When you bring in imaginary legends and myths, and there are two things that are absolutely true about the birth narratives and the word of God in that regard. The first one is this, that they're exciting and impressive enough, just as we have them. You don't have to add anything else on. You don't have to embroider the story. It is clearly a, a wonder. It is impressive in every way. It is astounding. It is awe-inspiring just as we have it without adding anything else. And secondly, the additions always distract from they do not focus on the truth. All of these little embellishments that are added tend to take the eye off of the truth and draw attention to self. So in King County this season, wanting to know how to sort of um, celebrate this season that they're not really all that comfortable with, they've decided the compromise will be to fix everybody's attention on the little drummer boy. And that's where the attention's going to be, on him. Now, as believers, we hear the song, we understand the point of it. But for many people, he's one of the main figures in the birth narrative of Christ. And he doesn't exist. He's not real. He's just a legend. And so you dilute the story down with that, and then, well, what else? Is it all just a big legend full of happy stories that it's nice to think about? 
or is there real truth here to be dealt with? Ungodly people may endeavor to render it of none effect by rejecting, disobeying, and contemning or despising it. But their criminal conduct shall not frustrate, but shall verify what is here said, says McCullough. But we have to touch on one more likeness here, and it's uh, beautifully stated by McCullough in his um, commentary on Isaiah. He says it like this, like the rain which softens, refreshes, and fructifies the earth, the word of God mollifies and makes soft the hearts on which it falls. It renovates them. It promotes spiritual growth and, growth and fertility and causes them to become pleasant and fruitful. Now, if we just look down quickly at the way the Lord describes his word and speaks of its efficacy and its power, in this example, it really opens things up to us. First of all, he says that it will not return or it won't turn back to him empty or void or ineffectually. Now, I've had a nagging computer problem over um, the last few weeks, and every avenue I try, every trick I know, every bit of YouTube direction I follow, all returns to me void and ineffectual. I get the same response no matter what I do. And the frustrating part is that it should work. It's not that difficult. It's not that great of a problem, but it's just not working. And I'm not asking for anything extraordinary or even anything complicated to happen. But alas, there's no success. In the case of God's word, the most extraordinary things are called for by that word. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. That's the most extraordinary thing. How can that possibly be? How does that happen? How does that work? What is that? And we think of all the things that are associated there with that. And nothing bounces back, as it were, and comes back to him as though, boy, that was a nice try, that you wanted to try to do that, or that that's what you wanted to accomplish, but it just doesn't happen. None, it's never like that. And while the birth of Christ, the virgin birth, is perhaps the most dramatic thing called for here, it's uh, only one thing among many examples of the effectual nature of God's word in this particular context. It, it hits on so many places. The second thing he says is, it shall accomplish or produce or advance, or bestow, or bring forth, or execute, or furnish that which I propose, or that which pleases me, or that I desire. So my word goes forth like this, with this power, and it accomplishes. It, and it doesn't just make the thing itself happen, but everything that is in that, that, that is a part of it happens. So you think of that seed. You've got that, that little seed. You put it in the ground. You water it. And it becomes an oak tree. Well, 
that was the potential in it. It's not just that the, that the acorn itself split open and the seed rooted and so on. It grew into this great tree and, and everything that's a part of that. And it's this way with the word of God. It has a purpose and a design, not just to make a statement of something, but to produce something and to bring something forth. And it does whatever he desires, whatever his pleasure is. He speaks and it happens. And just reflect for a moment on how true this is in regard to all that's involved here and what we're talking about in the Advent season and regarding the incarnation of Christ. Sending his son into the world produced every desired effect God designed. Every desired effect he wished to produce. Everything from the physical circumstances to the political climate to the hatred of Satan was opposed to any of this happening and opposed to the designed outcome. But everything went forward as he designed, unchecked, unhampered, relentlessly. And here you are, the children of God, safe in the Lord Jesus Christ, just as he designed, just as he'd purposed when he sent his son into the world to die for you. And consider the design before rushing on as McAuliffe outlines it. What's the design? To convince men and women of their sin and their misery. To make known the Savior who alone can deliver any from sin and its consequences. To bring about faith in them and a change from death to life. To give consolation even in the sorrows of this life. All that was built into this, was designed for this. And it all has flowered out from it. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the Lord says to his prophet Malachi, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. This purifying, this purging, and bringing about the result that you and I can offer sacrifices to the Lord that are acceptable. The sacrifice of our lips and praise, they're acceptable before the Lord because of Christ and Christ alone. In Jeremiah 23, 29, the Lord says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And that's the way the word brings conviction upon our hearts brings us to the place where we need Christ and we are ready to turn to him. And then in John 5, 24, Jesus himself says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is what this word was intended to produce. 
And that's what it has produced according to his pleasure. And then he says, and it shall succeed in or break out into or prosper or bring to pass the thing for which I sent it. And again, the language is just beautiful here. It's going to break forth. It's going to break out. It's going to prosper. It's going to bring to pass. Your faith, beloved, your salvation, your peace, and your consolation, your eternal hopes, and and they're all unfolding and prospering as a result of this design as proclaimed or spoken by your God. We go back to what we were talking about this morning, the, the call to comfort, to sigh with relief. You can sigh with relief because everything that this was intended to produce, it has and it will produce. His word is being fulfilled in your life every day. And there's no end in sight to it. You realize that? There's no end in sight to his word being fulfilled in your life. Because it's from now through eternity. The simple truth is that we haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything yet. We who know Christ and the riches of his mercy, we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. We know something of his love and his grace. But the truth is, beloved, the door has barely been cracked. The curtain barely pulled back. In Psalm 31, verse 19, the psalmist says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. He's built up this abundant goodness for us. In Psalm 16, talking about when we leave this world, the psalmist says there, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We are only tasting a little bit of those things now. We haven't come into the fullness of them yet. For a... A special occasion last week, my wife made a peanut butter pie that I asked her to create. And while she was doing the last part of creating the pie, I was eating the peanut butter and chocolate morsels that uh, were not in the pie yet. They were the leftovers, and I was enjoying them. But it was just a foretaste of what was coming. The pie was so much more than those morsels. We're, we have the morsels now. And there's so much more, so much more. And it is coming to pass because the Lord has spoken it. It's so sad to see the vain attempts of men and women, and Tyler made reference to this earlier today, who've over the years tried to make Christmas an occasion for world peace and international socialism. Because that's, that's really the peace that was, in, was intended there in their minds. Or even just a bit of strife, a rest from the strife of this world. But as he said earlier, it all falls short. It all falls away. 
there's an attempt to maybe establish just a, a moment or two of, of peace and, and lack of conflict, but it falls away and fresh sorrows immediately appear. Evil men and women aren't moved by such things. Crimes, illness, wars, they all break out no matter what the season. We didn't talk about this, so uh, he didn't know I was going to talk about it. I didn't know he was going to talk about it today. But does that mean that the Lord's word has failed? And the answer is, of course not. But there can be no peace among men and women until there's peace with God. And there can be no peace with God without the forgiveness of sins. And there can be no forgiveness of sins without the Son of God taking on incarnate flesh and coming and living and dying for sinners. To pretend otherwise, beloved, is to deny God and his word and to deny the power and the efficacy of that word. What his word was concerning these things has surely been accomplished. Matthew Henry says, These promises of mercy and grace shall have as real an effect upon the souls of believers for their sanctification and comfort as ever the rain had upon the earth to make it fruitful. Now in verse 12, as we close here, we read, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Can you imagine anything more beautiful than the connection of verse 12? And Go back and, and look at it there. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. That verse and this scene. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, or to men of God's will. Although it's popular to picture the angels in the sky, I prefer to think of them ranging about on the plains and the hills. And the scripture doesn't put them in the sky. That's uh, and just what people have said must be the case. But the scripture doesn't put them there. And putting them on the plains and the hills, I like to do that because that is the literal depiction of these words in Isaiah 55, verse 12, where the mountains and the hills will praise him. But at least one of our Christmas hymns tries to strike a, a compromise Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains, Gloria in excelsis Deo. So 
it's saying that when the angel sang the, 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 or spoke, the words that they spoke reverberated off of the hills and mountains around. Many Christians struggle with adorning their homes, especially with greenery during this season. And I understand why, and I appreciate that position. Personally, I struggle less with it. Whatever the pagan world did with such things to celebrate fertility and honor their nothing gods, I would maintain that long before they ever imagined their perverted practices, there were times when it would seem to be consistent with the celebration of God's grace. Instead of the thorn comes up the cypress. Instead of the briar comes up the myrtle, the flowering and the beautiful trees that are part of God's creation. Because of the word of God fulfilled to us and in us by the Lord Jesus, the thorn and the briar have given way to the cypress and the myrtle. And this shall be to the Lord for a name, for renown and for glory, a sign, a proof of his enduring and surpassing love. This stupendous change will be the memorial of his loving kindness to our lost race, to stand forever before the hierarchies of heaven as the measure and monument of divine compassion and unutterable love as cows. And I couldn't agree more. This is the testimony of the word fulfilled, our testimony and love for the Lord Jesus Christ and the redemption we have found in him. We are the living testimony of the power and efficiency of his work. And we can't praise him enough for it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for its power and for its efficiency. Lord, we thank you that Hundreds of years before these events took place, they were described, described in beautiful terms. And then, Lord, because of the nature of your word, it was all fulfilled just as you said, even in a way beyond uh, what the imagination of men and women could grasp in its fulfillment. And Father, we thank you and praise you for that this afternoon. And ask you now to bless us in all our celebration of our redemption. May it be holy and harmless. And Lord, may it give glory to you. We ask it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.